Hey everyone, this is Dave Debo with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Today, zooming in all the way from beautiful Halifax, Nova Scotia, we've got Michael Curry. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on the show. My pleasure. And, and Michael's been in the real estate business for quite some time. In fact, we were talking a little bit before we started recording that uh, Michael actually knows my big brother, Dan, who was an active real estate investor in Halifax for a number of years. And they were both part of the same real estate club. So that's kind of cool. And Michael is a, an accomplished real estate investor himself, started off doing flips, later on got into buy and hold of properties. And nowadays, his main claim to fame is not only is he a real estate investor, because, but he's also become very, very knowledgeable about dealing with tenants. So his, he's got a book, he's got a website, he's all got all sorts of great stuff called Landlord by Design. So Michael, looking forward to chatting with you about how to do this whole landlording thing a lot better. <laughs> yes, it's, a, it's always a work in progress. Definitely. So first of all, <laughs> I'm guessing, and I could be wrong, I'm guessing that there might have been a few little stumbles and trips along the way in, in, your, in your journey towards landlording success. So can you tell us when it really became evident that you needed to dial it in better about landlording and, and all things that revolve around that? I think, well, on my evolutionary journey, like I said I was doing some flips. It was a rising market, so I don't want to you know, sound like a hero or anything, but between 2001 and 2009, property values were going up. Then uh, some things changed around the 08, 09 era, as everyone knows. And then all my advisors, because sometimes on the flips, it's really easy to spend your uh, profits. So, you know, you do a flip, take some money, you take a trip, buy boats, Harleys, whatever, you blow your money. And then someone's telling me, hey, you know what? You might want to think about the future and buy and hold is where it's at. So I was like, oh, okay, great. You know, sounds easy. So then I get into some buy and hold investments. And then I was like a door maniac. All I wanted to do was like get as many. I wasn't looking at uh, quality over quantity. It was more quantity over quality. So I was buying everything I get my mitts on, which led me into getting some maybe less desirable properties in my portfolio, which led to some uh, precarious situations that I found if I got real estate education, it was all about the hype and all about, you know, how you can make money and the profits. And no one really talked about what it actually means to manage a property and negotiate with tenants and negotiate with contractors and just a lifelong customer experience. Like, you know, you have your tenants that are your customers, so you got to provide customer service and then you got tenant relation issues. Like until I got into bigger buildings, I didn't realize that someone would complain because someone's TV was too loud or, you know, the vacuum was too loud or people were coming in too late at night and there was all these issues. So I started blogging that was around 2015. I think it was, it was a bit of therapy, I think, more <laughs> anything else. Yeah, it was like, I was like, why does no one talk about property management? And then I thought, you know what, I can write the truth about it. Because I don't have, I still I don't have a property management company, I manage properties of my own. So I guess, in theory, I have my own internal, but I only deal with myself, my own company. And so I can write a non biased opinion on my thoughts and trials and tribulations and 
part of it's entertaining and part of it is uh, how to. So I kind of created a manual that, you know, everything from how to paint units. Like when I got into bigger properties, it's like, well, do you have to, you know, I used to know a guy, he said, no, 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 you do a quick and dirty paint job, wall, ceiling, trim, all the same color, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I was like, okay, or you can do the deluxe and that's where the trim's white and the walls are another color, uh, walls and ceiling one color, or, you know, or the super deluxe is like, ceilings white trims white and the walls are a different color right so it's like this weird learning experiences along the way yeah and uh so i just started writing about it and then i found there's a huge audience for it there was like people craving and mind you most people contact me when they're pretty far in the weeds like they've already gone off course yeah that's what they uh, get i'm sure yeah for sure yeah, and I think in this era, what I'm finding is a lot of people are what I call accidental landlords because as much as they're, if you talk financial advisor, you know, there's this great wealth transfer. Well, there's also this building transfer. Mm-hmm. And my most recent uh, client of mine, they, they had inherited, it was a, it just a handful of properties. There's four, uh, four plexus, but the accounting filing system consisted of a laundry basket full of papers and half tenants weren't paying rent and the buildings were all owned outright and the their mother who had passed away lived off it but just barely it sounds like it was if half of them paid whatever she didn't need much to live on and so the buildings are a total disaster and it's you know so then you gotta fix it from there so what what do you see your because you've been you've been doing this for a long time and you've been writing about it for a long time. And what do you see are some of the biggest mistakes people are making when it comes to property management and tenant management? I think that people where I see people get into trouble is they tend to either they're too by the book and they're a little like they're afraid of either afraid of breaking the rules or they're afraid of uh, negotiating out or having what they may consider confrontation yeah, and not realizing that it's a customer service business. And without the tenants, we have no revenue. So you got to look at it all the time. What's in the best interest for your properties? Because I had a few, you know, just recently with COVID, I had a few people with uh, smaller portfolios and they were like, well, I got like one tenant they're not paying their rent. And this might sound controversial, but I was like, well, if they're a good tenant and they're good up until now, like, are you going to set up a system that's going to set them up to fail and never pay right off a month or two? It's not going to kill you. Right. Like just, just deal with every case on a case by case circumstance. Right. Somebody has to leave a, you know, do you want someone doing a midnight move out or would you rather the courtesy of if they're going to break the lease anyway, Maybe you can make a deal. Maybe they can have the place completely spick and span and you let them out of the lease a couple months early. And I find that people that often contact me, they perceive they have a tenant issue, which to me is almost like a simple negotiation could just straighten it out instantaneously. And they're all kind of bent out of shape because they're like, well, that's not the rules. And well, So what I'm hearing there is that a lot of landlords, they just, it's kind of a combination of my way or the highway, plus this is what the rules say, 
So if you don't follow the rules, forget about it versus being more pragmatic, more practical about it and looking, stepping back and looking at the, at the big picture and saying, how can this not only best benefit the other person, but me as well in the long term? Would that be yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. So it's, so if somebody's in that position where, especially if you've been in the real estate game for a while, it's hard not to be a little jaded sometimes because we've all yes. been, we, we've all got some version of a tenant from hell story that's either happened to us or we're very, very familiar with. How do we stay, stay the course of, of being friendly and, and, and that way when we've got that kind of experience behind us? I think for me and the way I've always looked at it is like, is just never take the experiences personal. Now, I've had lots of experiences and, you know, obviously enough to start blogging and write a book. So I'm not saying that I've had, it hasn't been an always easy ride, especially a lot of times you're inheriting situations, as you know, when you're buying buildings. Yeah. And I think that um, you really got to not take it personal and look at the best interests of your company and the uh, tenant and how it's going to work out work out best for both parties and make it a win-win. And sometimes you got to suck it up and bite your tongue. Like if, if you got to pay somebody to um, get out of a place and pay the, some of their moving costs or whatever you, whatever you got to do, that's going to avoid a four month hellish eviction process. That's going to cost you, you know, $3,000 or $4,000 as opposed to, Maybe you cut a guy a check a thousand dollars, bite your tongue, and move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, and sometimes that might end up with a handshake and a clean apartment at the end of it, which is way better than what it could be. <laughs> yeah. Or you go through the eviction process, and by the time you get the sheriff there four months later, you miss out on all the rent and you have a trash place. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So, okay. So that's one of the big mistakes. Um, what else? What are, what are some of the, the issues that you see coming up over and over again for landlords that that could be, I don't know if you can say easily avoided, but fairly easily rectified. Fairly the easy. number one yeah. is uh tenant screening. Okay. Any, Prima, any place tenants by a landlord that people are in trouble with, it generally can be traced back to screening because the first question I ask is I say, send me over the original application when you approve this tenant. And that sometimes gets caught with a deer in the headlights or some silence. And then I say, send me over a copy of the lease. Oh, the lease. Oh, does that have to be a written lease nowadays? Like, you know, it's, it blows my mind how many, well, like I just mentioned that portfolio or whatever. It's like how many landlords don't even have leases. Like they just don't have a signed lease and how many still take cash or that. So I think in the, the screening is where a landlord has the power. And as soon as they place the tenant, all the rights, all the security, everything goes to the tenant. Everything favors the tenant, unless there's a different tenancy board that somebody deals with then is in Canada or the United States um, probably, or, or my clients in the UK or Scotland, or, you know, it's like uh, all these different places. Right. So what, uh, what would be some decent tips for people on how to screen better? 
because sometimes people can get through a, an application, make the application look good. What are some of your tips for actually following up on references and knowing if they're BS or not, that sort of thing? Uh, well, for reference checks, like, um, so, well, number one, we always do a credit check. So we always pull a bureau and see what's, uh, what's uh, that'll tell you a story because that'll tell you if they say they might have uh, omitted a place that they were evicted from or had a bad experience at in their process that'll show up on a, on a credit report. So I always, do, always, do, always uh, do evictions and, and late rents show up on credit reports or how, I, I, most mom and pop real estate investors aren't, aren't connected to the credit bureaus, are they? The, uh, so there's a company out of BC, which is uh, tenantverification.com and they, they service uh, Canada and the U S and you do have to give blood to sign up. It's it's a process because you're handling sensitive data. But once you sign up, it's uh, $24 a credit check. In Nova Scotia, there's a um, there's a local, like a Nova Scotia tenancy organization, IPONS, what it's called. And mm-hmm. Ontario has a uh, tenancy organization that if you sign up for, we'll give you cheaper. Um, they have a landlord association that will, you can get cheaper credit checks. But it is it is a hundred percent percent critical. Not because you're looking for a credit score, because you're looking for a consistent story that matches up with the application. Hmm. And whenever someone gives a work number, you always have to you know always Google it, of course, right? And do a little bit of uh, Google research, you know. A friend of mine that dealt with a lot of uh, C grade buildings used to uh, used to say uh, you put the tenant's name into Google and say you know Joe Smith arrested or Joe Smith crime or something like that in in there like it or hate it social media everyone you know go on to Facebook check get you know get a feel for for who you're putting in there and look at it like like a business deal. So if the rent's a thousand dollars a month and it's a one-year lease, it's a twelve thousand dollar loan. Is the guy who got make good on that twelve thousand dollar loan or not? So well, well, not only that, but he's living in your three or four hundred thousand dollar asset. That's yes, thing, right. And so we do like a four-pillar kind of a approach, and you have to verify income. Yeah, you, you have to be very, very cautious about human rights. So you can't. Um, you can't judge on the source of income, but you can uh, definitely see if the income amount qualifies. So There's, what do you mean by that? You can't judge on the source of the income. What do you mean? Uh, if you have a, uh, it's against human rights. If somebody has a source of income, so let's say they're on social assistance, for example, you can't say, well, I don't rent to people on okay. social assistance. That's, that's a violation of human rights. Got it. But if somebody has social assistance, if you verify the income and it's $800 and your policy is and you're renting a $1,200 apartment, well, yeah. two don't add up. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's okay. So you can, you can verify the amount. You just have to be very cautious with not stepping on to, uh, you know. Yeah, on the human rights. Awesome, Michael. Time flies when we're having fun. If people want to find out more about you, your blog, your book. What should they do? Yeah, just head to uh, landlordbydesign.com. And what you'll find, like I I write for fun. Like I love to help out landlords. uh, So it's almost like I always joke. I say I wrote the book that I wish I had when I first started out. 
so on there on a regular basis. Like I've been writing like crazy because of uh, COVID and uh, I'm connected to uh, some landlord associations, uh, some various ones in the Canada and in the United States. So I got a lot of uh, kind of like neat stories because it's, you know, we're all in the, in the same sort of situation, just different countries, different provinces, different states. Yeah. Uh, but it's all pretty much the same thing. And um, it's, uh, you know, I have forms on there, like downloadable eBooks. Like I get tons and tons of free stuff on there that if you're in, yeah. if you want to find out property management or you just want to entertain yourself or you want a little property management therapy, I got it all right there. Landlord by design. Thank you very much. <laughs> nice to get to, to meet you there, Michael. Yes. Thank you. All right, everybody. Take care. and We'll see you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Well, hey there. Thanks for tuning into the Property Profits Podcast. If you like this episode, that's great. Please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a good review. That'd be awesome. I appreciate that. And if you're looking to attract investors and raise capital for your deals, then I'm going to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my newest book right back there. There it is. The Money Partner Formula. You can get a PDF version at Investor Attraction Book. Dot com. Again, investorattractionbook.com. Take care.